Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oi, oi. Hello, team. This is Owen Jones presenting the Cheerful Election Daily podcast. Every time before I do this podcast, I have to repeat to myself over and over again, cheerful, cheerful, be cheerful, be cheerful. Let's just see how that gets me through the coming days and weeks, uh, because I've always got to exude a sunny optimism, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, it's like working in customer service all over again. So there is a formidable challenge facing us. I'm not talking about the Tory electron battery ram. Uh, heading directly our way. I'm talking about my two extremely hyperactive Burmese cats. Yes, Burmese. I'm a, that's a, they're the champagne socialist cats. No doubt that'll be in the Daily Mail ASAP. And, uh, they're Kieran Rickman, beloved little mogs. I kind of see them as my little lefty mascots, uh, but they're extremely demanding hyperactive creatures and they're currently having their mad hour. They do not want me to do this podcast and they're going to sabotage it at every possible opportunity with howling and attempts to attack the microphone. I think they're Tory agents. That's my suspicion in any case. So I'm going to start with a schadenfreude. Have I said that correctly? Schaden, schaden, schadenfreude. We'll stick with that. Slight, I'm not sure it's supposed to be said in a what remains of my Stockport lilt. So one of the worst people this country has managed to produce, Katie Hopkins, has been telling her story, her tale of woe that after she libeled the writer, Jack Monroe, uh, she, she was forced to pay £500,000 in a legal bill and forced to sell her £1 million Devon house. Uh, she was sacked from her two newspaper columns and an LBC radio show because she's a massive racist and far-right activist. Why am I saying this? Sometimes you look at the world and think people who do, they were, who are very, very bad people, not naming any names, and you kind of think, will they ever get their comeuppance when so many people who mostly go through life trying to do well, don't think they're just going to vomit out racism on a daily basis on their Twitter feed, uh, you know, that they often struggle through life, whilst some of the worst people on earth are thriving at the moment, uh, like, a, like a bacteria in a Petri dish. But Katie Hopkins has been telling the, the, the newspapers of this tragic tale of woe, which I, I, it's put a spring in my step for this election campaign. I hope it has for you as well. Also in the papers and all over television, Jennifer R. Curie. Now, Jennifer R. Curie uh, is someone who had, let's say, liaisons, a relationship of some description, allegedly, with Boris Johnson. Um, and uh, there are some big, big, serious questions about that relationship and uh, Boris Johnson's time in office uh, which he seriously needs to answer. She is not happy. She's uh, said that he's cast aside like one, uh, like some one night stand and a gremlin, uh, which I think is unfortunate because I, I think gremlins are actually quite sweet. But one of my favourite quotes of all time, she says that men trip over their dicks to have sex with me. If I was a slightly sassier gay man than I actually am, I'm afraid, I would call her a queen. 
But she is talking about the secrets that she's kept of Boris Johnson. And given the way apparently he has treated her in the election campaign, which has three and a half weeks to go, we shall soon see if she reveals what they are. Now, Brexit. Oh, God. Do we actually have to talk about Brexit? I wonder if there's any way of doing a podcast about the election where I can just avoid doing it. When I've been knocking on doors talking to people, people are actually genuinely exhausted. Uh, and, and, and actually what's interesting, well, they say they're exhausted about Brexit. They're just, you know, literally on the verge of, of, of ripping their hair from their heads in total exasperation. Uh, but what's interesting is it isn't in, in, in lots of places coming up that often. People do want to talk about other stuff. There is other stuff going on in the world other than our relationship with the EU. But it is an issue in this election. Now, I went to Ashfield this weekend. And the reason I've gone up to Ashfield is Ashfield is... Uh, a place which labour only just by the skin of their teeth. Uh, is that an expression? I've never really understood that expression, and I'm not sure I've used it right. But they only just kept it with a very, 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 very small majority. And I was up there last time, and Gloria de Piero, who's standing down as Labour's candidate, she she was convinced it would it would go. There's a new candidate, Natalie Flea, a working class woman rooted in that community. Now, this is why I went up to Ashfield, uh, partly, and to talk to her. We often hear about disillusioned Remainers who are kind of pretty teed off with Labour. And what seems to be happening in the polls is they're increasingly coming back. What Labour are probably really worried about is those Labour voters who voted to leave the European Union in 2017, many of them aren't, and they're actually going elsewhere. And that is what the Tory campaign is all based on. They want they want to, you know, they think that partly the Lib Dems will split the, the, the anti-Tory vote, and they also think that disillusioned Leave voters are going to go... Well, if you're, you know, I'm so fed up with Brexit not happening, I'm going to go elsewhere. So I wanted to go up to a community where about 70% of people voted to leave. And I wanted to find out what was going on. So I had a chat with Natalie Fleet, who I think is a very, very impressive uh, individual about what's going up there and what it means for the election. So I'm in Ashfield on quite a cold, bit wet day. I'm in the East Midlands. This is a seat that Labour only just held at the last election. And I'm on an estate with Natalie Fleet, who's the Labour candidate. This is the estate you grew up in, wasn't it? Yeah. So this is the estate that I became teenage parenting twice when Ashfield had the highest teenage pregnancy rates in the whole of Europe. We had a, a short start across the road that I could go and use. It was full of services, everything that I needed to just the basics about parenting and all the support that I needed was across the road. It's not anymore. The building's there, but all the services have gone. So what's been the impact of, we've had nearly a decade now of Tory rule, what's been the main, and in a state where we're standing right now, what are the main kind of impacts? So there are many, 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 many um, cuts to school funding. They've now, they've got young kids that have gone through school for 10 years having underfunding that you know their, their class sizes increase, their teaching assistants removed. I was talking to a mum on the door this morning, she took her baby to be weighed at short start and that's where I used to get support when I had postnatal depression they really really looked after you there was somebody there instead there's now weighing scales and you weigh your own baby and you put it in your red book and these are one of the many 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 hidden cuts that nobody even knows about they don't get reported but it's support that people for four people that need it the most this constituency voted about 70% to leave the European Union so it's quite one of the levy areas of Britain Part of the story you've heard about Labour's problems has been Remainers who've abandoned the party. Is it quite different in a constituency like this? Where are people who voted Remain 
sorry, people who voted Leave in 2016 voted Labour in 2017. Where are they at now politically? They're angry. They're really, really angry. They're sick of hearing about Brexit, as am I. I'm in the same place as them. They they want it to be over. There are 30% of people that want it to be over and wish that we had remained and there are 70% of people that want it to be over and they want it to be done but what people need here is a resolution they really really do they're sick of politicians messing about for three years Boris Johnson voting against his own government twice I keep telling them now people say that our message is ex- it's really uh, confusing it isn't it's really really simple we get the best deal that we possibly can we then go back to them and check they're okay with it and I, it's going down well on the doorstep so you're not getting people who voted leave who are saying actually Labour are trying to stop the referendum result we voted for. They do say that. Gloria, we're in a unique position here. In the, the policy- Gloria was the last, uh, she's the current yeah, Labour MP, De Piero. Yeah, Gloria De Piero, and she voted for Boris Johnson's deal. So when I tell people that, that Boris Johnson voted against his own government twice and Gloria voted for the deal the last time it was in the House of Commons and he had the figures to get it through and instead he needed an election because he lost his own majority and his brother even said that he was a, a danger to the national interest. He needed this election. This isn't about Brexit. And that's why I tell him on the doorstep. And generally, they're quite surprised to hear all of that. If Labour in government, there will be another referendum. Do you think that will go down badly here? I constantly tell people I am one of you, a normal person. We can't sit at home. I, I, I can't sit at home and moan. So I'm that normal person whose family and relatives, people that love me, really don't want me to do it. But because they worry about politics right now and how it is and how it's perceived but actually if I can get to go down to Westminster and talk to people about the things that people in Ashfield care about then that is really really important and that's what I tell them when they talk about Brexit on the doorstep you know we need to get this voice down to Westminster so that we can tell people loud and clear what matters to us. So the Tories wanted this just to be the Brexit election Mm -hmm. is that is that working on the doorstep are people just wanting to talk about Brexit and if not, you know, what are the other issues that, that people do want to talk about? The Tories tell us it's a Brexit election because that fits their narrative. But if it's a, an election to get Brexit done, then why did the Prime Minister vote against his own government twice? This isn't about getting Brexit done. This is about getting Boris Johnson a majority so that he can rule for the next five years. He will be in charge of our NHS, our schools, our police numbers. We can see the damage that they've done over the past nine years. I am really worried about what will happen over the next five. People on the doorstep are not swallowing that this is a Brexit election. It's an issue, it's not the issue. If the polling was right today, and we saw what happened with the polling in the last election, but if the polling was right, the Tories have a big lead over Labour. Mm-hmm. And this seat was only just held by Labour in 2017. Are you finding on the doorstep, in terms of the data that this is a seat that Labour are really going to struggle to keep in a few weeks' time? The, it's really unpredictable. The polling isn't right because it doesn't take account of the three-way split of the opposition. There, there, there is an anti-politics vote and it goes to different people. So therefore, there's not just one contender like there was in 2017. But ultimately, we have to fight to make sure that that polling's wrong. And that's why we're out three times a day, every day, getting activists from wherever we can. And we are out and having positive conversations with people. And they are still with us, which is just wonderful, which is why what we do is so important. And sod the winter election. We're out. We're knocking on doors in the dark and the cold. And it's worth it because those conversations are so important. It's interesting. It is nippy, but people are knocking on doors in quite big numbers. It's quite interesting. And finally, just if you hear those words that this is 
the seat that you will, you know, Labour hold. That's what you hear flashed up, Ashfield, Labour hold. How how would you feel becoming an MP, someone who's not from some middle-class professional background like so many are in Parliament? What, what, what do you think that means to you and to the community that you, you're from? I would be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly proud, and that's what keeps me going every day, to have a teenage parent from this community set to Westminster by the people that are her friends, her relatives, her neighbours. I just... I would be incredibly, incredibly proud and really, really excited about the difference that I could make down there. Cheers, Natalie. You see, it is a tricky one for Labour. It's, it's often portrayed as being very straightforward. Ah, Labour, just go out and campaign for Remain really, really loudly. And it is true they won communities, constituencies like Canterbury, where, where I was last week, where, which overwhelmingly voted for Remain. But if they lose areas which voted for Leave... Uh, then Boris Johnson will will get a majority. I mean, it is complicated because actually in areas uh, represented by Labour MPs which voted Leave, that doesn't mean all the Labour voters did. In fact, most Labour voters, even in those areas, voted Remain. And the danger is some would go to the Lib Dems, which is what Boris Johnson's counting on to divide the Remain vote, and some might go to the Conservatives or the Brexit party in some areas. And then Boris Johnson gets his big thumping majority, and it is hard Brexit kiddos at the end of January if that happens but I mean I have criticisms of Labour's Brexit position I mean I I do think on you know they should have been quicker uh, to adopt a policy but there is uh, this excruciating idea I think that there's something complicated now about Labour's policy which is have another referendum with a customs union Brexit and remain on the ballot paper. That's literally the only way Brexit's ever going to be stopped, a Labour government introducing that referendum. Um, And there's this, you know, idea that unless Jeremy Corbyn tattoos the EU flag on his chest and camps outside Parliament yelling stop Brexit very loudly, and that won't be enough because he has to change his name by Depol to Jeremy, I love the EU, uh, Corbyn, that won't be enough. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, we do need to try and bring the country together. And we've had a government that said for three and a half years that they only represent uh, leavers and, you know, everybody else are enemies of the people, traitors and saboteurs to be to be crushed. But that said, one of the things that I have been frustrated about is that Labour hasn't often taken as courageous a stand as it should be to defend freedom of movement and migrants. It's unfortunate that because if you look at I know, Jamie Corbyn, John McDonald, Diane Abbott, a lot of their political lives has been involved in pro-migrant campaigning. The first thing Jamie Corbyn did when he became a leader uh, was to speak at a pro-refugee rally. And he got a load of stick from the media at the time showing how out of touch he was and all the rest of it. But it was a courageous thing to do. And, uh, you know, since the referendum, though, you haven't had that kind of all-out swinging uh, support the rights of, of, of migrants, that they're not responsible for the injustices caused by the people at the top of society. Now, in fact, actually, what's really interesting, and this is not, this is counterintuitive for a lot of people, but it is, it is what the polling shows. YouGov did a poll and it asked if people want freedom of movement to carry on after Brexit, uh, with the EU. 58% said yes. 28% said, said no. And even, you know, amongst Labour voters, it's 70% yes, 16% no. Even amongst Conservative voters, 41% still said yes. And amongst Leave voters, 33% said 
said, yes, they still want freedom of movement. Now, what happened at Labour Conference, which is where a lot of policies are passed, which are supposed to go in the manifesto, don't always, but a lot of union, you know, that's where union delegates and party delegates from across the country come together. This year, they they passed a resolution demanding that freedom of movement was extend, was not just protected, but extended. Now, there's a bit of a fight going on because Labour's manifesto, which has been hammered out at this meeting called the Clause 5 meeting, there's a bit of controversy over whether or not they're actually going to put that in the manifesto. Now, I think they, I think they, they need to do this. This is a point of principle. You know, we know migrants pay in more than they get back. We know that uh, migrants are scapegoated for the failure to build housing or investing in the economy or or, or or the lack of skilled jobs that exist in this country. You know, these are these are caused by the elites. You know, it's tax dodgers. It's the, the bankers who crashed the economy. It, you know, it wasn't Polish nurses. It wasn't Lithuanian care workers who, who, who trashed this country in that way. And the reason I think it's so important is the Tories are back on their migrant bashing bus. Um, and... You know, they always do this because they want you to be angry at, at, at there's my cat, giving giving his, I, I would say, discontent with Tory migrant bashing. So, for example, Michael Gove is spreading these myths about, uh, and, and so is the, uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, about it being the, the NHS is a national health service, not an international health service, that, is, that uh, EU citizens are abusing the health care. Now, now, firstly, EU citizens don't get automatic rights to health care in EU states. So in the first three months as, uh, as, as one leading campaigner on this bullet, you're treated like a tourist with no rights. After that three months, unless you're working or self-sufficient, you get no rights at all. Also, like the NHS would collapse without uh, people from all over the world, not least because we're not training up properly nurses and doctors. The, the Tories have cut bursaries to train up nurses. Uh, so over a quarter of doctors are non-British. Over half of new medics joining the NHS are from overseas. And what worries me about what the Tories are doing here, well, a lot worries me about it, but if we think about the Windrush scandal and how that started, it was about get, creating a hostile environment for migrants, again, an attempt to blame them for all the problems caused by those at the top. And it, it, and it ended up with black British Windrush citizens being stripped at healthcare, being kicked out of that homes, losing their jobs, and even being deported from their own country. One of the big scandals of our time, which we should probably speak about a lot more in this uh, election. So I think it's really important that, that, that on this point of principle, they talk about this. But we know already this manifesto has now been hammered out. They've been very tight-lipped. Oh, I've tried to pry it out them. I've, I've, I've plied Labour officials with booze and they're still not giving anything away. But they are beaming. They think this manifesto is very, very exciting. I have some ideas which I'd like to put in. Uh, there's not enough plug sockets on trains, for example. I'm just, these are the kind of big, big ideas that I think Labour really need to be championing. Now, we've had the big broadband announcement, which is universal uh, broadband, fibre broadband for free everywhere. Now, I think Labour should be putting this at the heart of this idea of modernising the country. That country's been held back by market dogma that, you know, in, in this country, only 8 to 10% of households have fibre broadband. In South Korea, it's 97%. And people are fed up of natural monopolies being run by private profiteers uh, who offer really crap service for rip-off amounts. Uh, and because it's the basis of our economy and society, the, the kind of basic infrastructure these days, that is not something which... Uh, 
is 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 just some sort of minor aside, like a gimmick. And it's really cut through. The polling shows that most people support it. I actually tried to watch the launch of the broadband policy, but my Virgin Media broadband kept crashing. Astonishing, really. But what the manifesto does have to be a biggie, because there should be absolutely, and I'm going to just come on to this now, cheerful, 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 sorry, that there is a there is an intellectual mountain to climb. Let's just be honest about this. You know, it's really important people know what the what the stakes are, but in terms of what the odds are. Um, and, and what happened last time was the manifesto was the big turning point. Before that, it was bleak. Oh my God, last 2017. To begin with, the local elections, Labour got smashed, it was all over. Um, and the polling now, let me just explain where we're at with some of the polling. So it varies wildly. Comrades, for example, that's one pollster. They had Labour going up three points to 33. The Tories going up a point to 41. Eight points, big gap. It's narrowed. If you were to look at YouGov, you, you might, if you're into stiff whiskey, you, you, it's tempting because it shows Labour on 28%, the Tories on 45% going up three, a 17 point lead for the Tories. That's, that's nuts me laughing to avoid, avoid crying. Now, but. This is what's interesting. The polling average in the week three of the 2017 election had the Tories on 47% and Labour on 29, an 18-point gap. As things stand, the average has Labour on 41 and, uh, sorry, not, I wish. the to- Oh no, sorry, I don't wish. That's the Tories. The Tories on 41, not Labour, and Labour on 29. Now that's a big gap. That's 12 points, but it's it's a lot lower than it was last time. And the Lib Dems are much higher, and Labour now has to say to a lot of those people who have defected to the Lib Dems, firstly, you know, carrot was carrot and stick. It's carrot, you're going to get Remain, you're going to get these great policies. Stick is, you're going to end up with hard Brexit and Boris Johnson in, in a few weeks with a whopping big majority. But this is what's interesting about the polling, and, and I, I, I don't want to just bombard everyone with stats. But it's important. Kantar, another pollster, they they put uh, the Tories on 37, down to Labour on 27, up to. But what's really interesting is the turnout that they're projecting. So they're saying that 18 to 24 year olds, only 10% are certain to turn out. And amongst over 65 year olds, it's 75%. Now, that shifts their polling quite a lot. Uh, against Labour, because we know younger people are more likely to support Labour, older people are more likely to support the Tories. And if you were to up that turnout to where it was in 2017, then it massively reduces the Tory lead. But it does show that if Labour don't get young people to come out and vote, then uh -uh. what does give reason to hope is one and a half million um, people have applied for voter registration the first two weeks of the election, the majority of whom were young. That's more than twice the level this time round. And there's a lot more people out canvassing for Labour. But it is a huge, huge challenge, you know? I mean, we don't know how accurate the polls are. We know what happened last time. Uh, we don't, you know, and I do talk to MPs who worry as youth enthusiasm as high as it was. That only really came after the manifesto with things like tuition fees and other policies. But, you know, there is that fear that will they be able to get that same level of enthusiasm uh, whilst will Tory voters be likely to come out uh come out and vote. Now, another biggie, which is coming up this week, is the TV debate. And what Jeremy Corbyn needs to do in that debate is a few things. Firstly, he needs to go in sunny, optimistic. He needs to repeat cheerful over and over again. 
that's when he's at his best. That's what people liked about him in the last election. His ratings went up, uh, which was so important to what happened in the final result. He can be a bit... Gr- he, sometimes, look, I'm not having the media yelling at me every single day of my life, just some oddballs on Twitter. Uh, but he does. He, when he gets a bit grouchy, that doesn't really work very well for him. Grouchy Jeremy is, is, is not necessarily the vibe he wants to go for. But he also needs to show strength of leadership... Uh, because again, that's how the, the Tories are trying to betray him, weak and all the rest of it, um, and it, about being decisive. But he also needs to make a pitch to Remainers, uh, who many of whom are still backing the Lib Dems on this issue, whilst also being able to say something to the Leavers for the reasons I've already said. Uh, so it's no pressure, mate, but what I'll do is after the leaders debate, I, I'm going to do a, a special podcast where I talk about what happened was it a success or not? Is it a game changer? And I think I'm going to have a special guest to talk to you about that. The other thing that is important that Labour need to talk about in the manifesto are big, 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 big transformative stuff. They need more broadband type stuff. That's what they need. That cuts through. That's the sort of people non-politicos go, oh, have you heard this new policy? Um, but they do need to talk about stuff as well, which in the Westminster bubble, they don't really care about. A, a classic example is buses. Uh, you know, we often hear about trains and that's because Westminster hacks use trains a lot and get fed up when they leave London. But buses is a way bigger thing for millions of people. We've seen deregulation of buses outside of London has meant uh, the number of routes has massively gone down, the prices have gone up. But another example, and I wrote about this a few months ago, so I was very relieved to hear about this, is dentistry. Uh, the, the state of our teeth is not great. We get ridiculed by people abroad, particularly Americans for them. But private dentistry, we've seen massively massively increased NHS dentistry going down. People can't afford it often. So they end up with maybe not the best dental health and they when they're younger and they pay the consequences when they're when they're older. So that policy of free first checkups uh, by Labour is important that they need to build on it. They need more of those sorts of things which cut through to people uh, on, on a kind of day-to-day basis. The other thing that Labour really needs to do in this election, I think, is go big on modernization and and and, and claiming the future. Uh, you know, that's what the, the broadband thing's all about. It's not really the free thing that I think is, I think that's important, but it's also about the fact that our broadband infrastructure is terrible and backward compared to other countries. And, you know, where Labour have done well in the past, 1945, their manifesto was, let us face the future. They talked about a new Britain, a tremendous overhaul, a great programme of modernisation of homes, factories, machineries, schools, social services, they said. You know, this idea of, we're not going back to the 30s, we're building a new society. Harold Wilson in the, in, the, in the 60s spoke of a new Britain, the white heat of technology, modernising the country, changing its structure to develop it with all the possible speed, the advanced technology and the new science-based industries with which our future lies. Tony Blair, I'm not his number one fan, but New Labour only offered modest tinkering compared to that. But their rhetoric was all about modernity, delivering a new Britain, modernising Britain. Uh, it spoke of a country that does not shuffle into the new millennium, afraid of the future, but strides in with confidence. More of that. That's what Labour needs to talk about. It's going to modernise the country. It's going to bring it, drag it into the 21st century. It's potentials being held back. So that, I think, is very, very important if it's going to overcome that mountain, which it is, and it is an epic mountain. But like every mountain, not like every mountain, but like some mountains, you can see the summit. Finally, there is a small, small issue of the potential destruction of human civilization. Blimey, that's probably come out of nowhere for some of you. But 
it is the climate emergency and this has to be a climate emergency election because we've got what 11 years according to the UN to take drastic action to stop global temperatures falling uh, to one and a half centigrade above their pre-industrial levels which will be disastrous uh, we've already seen extreme weather we've already seen population movements uh, we've already seen people dying from everything from heat waves pollution which kills more people globally than smoking I, I joined a protest last week of these amazing young people who really are going to save the planet by the way and they were outside Tory conference yelling at them which I thoroughly enjoyed incidentally because Boris Johnson's refused to take part in a debate on on the climate emergency with other party leaders now Labour today are saying um, Jeremy Corbyn's announcing uh, at the CBI that represents kind of major bosses and employers 320,000 climate apprenticeships in England in the first term I am praying praying like you would never believe that a Green New Deal, which transforms the economy in a just way, because I think often people here taking action on climate is about sacrificing all the rest. It isn't. It should be about creating jobs, you know, transforming living standards, solar panels on roofs, clean air, great transport that's affordable. Those are the big, big things, really transformative, bold things that Labour really, really have to go for for the future of humanity, but it will capture the imagination of those young people who Labour, if they don't get them to vote, then they're, then they're buggered. Cheerful, 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 cheerful. Sorry, just got to remember that. So that's it for this episode. Got a lot coming up. I'm going to do some interviews. I'm going to keep traveling around the country. I'm going to let you know what's actually going on. It is going to be quite the ride, as I keep saying over and over again. There will be some high points and low points. The one thing I am inspired by always is just watching people full of hope, full of optimism, who actually want to change society. Uh, not all of them agree with Labour and its leadership. They have disagreements like I do as well. But I think they know there's quite a lot. The stakes are high here on the climate, on, on, on the injustices that face our society, everything from the NHS to poverty. Hey, it's a biggie, isn't it? It's a biggie, but we can do it. If you like this podcast, by the way, it would be, it, I feel a bit grubby doing this, but it, it would be nice if you left a rating, uh, left some stars. Um, I do feel like a busker, but I'm, busking is an honourable tradition. It's been a real pleasure as ever. Thank you for tuning in, and we will continue going on this, this journey together. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Election Daily is produced by the cheerful team, including Jeff Lloyd, Emma Corsham, Joe Kenyon and Joel Pearce, with music from Pete Frazier. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.